What comes to your mind when you hear that word? What comes to your mind when you hear refuge, safety, peace? All of those things should come to your mind. So this is my question I've been asking myself, and you've probably been asking yourself. Do you consider yourself a person of refuge? Do you consider yourself a person of refuge? Yes, after I've had my two cups of coffee, I do. Before, we don't know. (laughs) The jury's out on that one. That's why I have to get up early so I can have my coffee, so I can become a person of refuge. That's the whole whole reason. It's not because I even enjoy getting up early. (laughs) Do you consider yourself a person of refuge? If you are a Christ follower and you said no, I'm going to lovingly convict you. You are. The hope of glory is in you. Christ crucified, resurrected, the fullness of the Godhead is in you through the Holy Spirit. You are a person of refuge because he has made you a person of refuge because you are like him and becoming more like him as day by day goes by. And that's what we want to do here today. All right, so you have to think, okay, God has purposed me to be a person of refuge. So I want to think like that, talk like that, act like that on a regular basis, right? Right? All right. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy. I'm going to put up a picture we've been showing the last few weeks because we have to understand this uh, whole cities of refuge thing. The people of Israel getting ready to go into the promised land. God is going to, by his divine will, the tribe of Levi will not have any specific land. They will be spread out and sprinkled in 48 cities all over Israel. God wants his people, the people who focus on his word, the proclaimers of his word, sacrifices. He wants them all over Israel. Of those 48 cities, six of them are going to be special cities of refuge that someone who kills someone accidentally can run to, least in this culture, the avenger of blood, that next of kin, is going to take them out in anger and hotness. So here are the six, three on the east of the Jordan, three on the west of the Jordan. So let me explain where we are in Deuteronomy 19. Uh, Moses is at, the sun is setting on Moses' life and his leadership. And he is going to appoint the three cities on the right. I'm sorry, the left, the, the, the left, your left, there you go. On the left, when they cross over in Joshua, Joshua is going to do the other three. But Moses is going to appoint the three cities of refuge on the east of the Jordan where they are because Moses will not ever cross and go into the promised land because of what happened at the rock. When God said, speak to the rock, he struck it. He said, you're not going to enter the promised land right now. Now remember, at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, there was someone on the left and someone on the right. And one of those people was Moses. Oh, he did get to enter the promised land. He was there. So let's pick this up in Deuteronomy 19, 1 through 9. Here we go. When, when, this is Moses talking. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whom the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide it into three parts, the territory of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees. 
So let me stop there and explain this. Verses 1 through 3 are continuous, and then 4 through 6 are parenthetical. Parentheses, right? Like, you could read 1 through 3 and pick it right up in verse 7, and it makes sense. But, but 4, 5, and 6 are put in there as an illustration. They're parenthetical to explain, to give a little analogy of this, what's going on. Verse 4. So think of this as parentheses. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally may not unintentionally, not having hated him in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber. Here's just a parenthetical example. And his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the, hand, the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long. And kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. Then the parenthesis ends. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Now it is the Lord. Now, if the Lord your God enlarge your territory. Remember, they are not crossed into promised land yet. This is Moses' ending words. Joshua's not taken over yet, but he's getting ready to. As he swore to your fathers to give you to the, to, and gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers. And if you keep all his commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these. I'm setting it up. I'm prepping it. I'm showing you the example. I won't be there for the other three cities. If God increases you, you follow him, you're going to be able to double down on this and create more cities of refuge. All right, so let's look at this here. you got some notes right there. Let's learn something from the Word of God. I always enjoy studying the Word of God, and let's look at this. This is ripe with spiritual fruit. This is ripe if you've had a long day, if you're in the middle of a battle or working hard doing things. This is ripe with encouragement. So let's look. Verse 2, it says, You shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, if we want to know what cities Moses set up and why he did it, we have to go back to Deuteronomy 4. So let's read Deuteronomy 4, 41 to see what he did. All right, Moses, what you got for us? Verse 41. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer may flee there, who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in time past, and that by fleeing to one of these cities... He might believe, he might live, excuse me, Bazaar in the wilderness, on the plateau of the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead, for the Gadites and Golan in Bashan, for the Massonites or the half tribe of Manasseh. So we've got three tribes and three cities. Moses says, this is what I'm going to pick. This is what I need to do toward the end of my life. Now, this is why this matters. God put this 
in the, in the heart of Moses, he made it very clear he wanted a culture of life, not death. He wanted a place of refuge. He wanted uh, prepping. Everything is about prepping so much for the cross so people could see it so clearly. And this is what's amazing. This could be a highly depressing time for Moses. It actually should be. He doesn't get to go in the promised land. His run is over. Yes, there's some excitement about dying and going to heaven and all that stuff. But if he could have scripted it, it wouldn't be the ending he wanted, right? He wanted to go to the promised land. Come on, no one wants to say, I'm going to take these whining, complaining people all the way there, and then I'm not going to walk into Disneyland. I I brought kids on an 18-hour drive. I'm going to Disneyland. I'm riding the rides, right? No one wants to do that. (laughs) Ooh, some of y'all have, I struck a chord there. That's what this is. But Moses is a humble man. In fact, the most humble man on the face of the earth, the Bible says. In his heart and mind, he knows, man, this is not the way I wanted life to end for me. But I'm a leader, I'm a God follower, and I have to do something. Number one on your notes. Refuge is built when we lead by example. Now we're relating to the Moses, the man of God, right? I bet you in your life and in mine, I wish I could script some things differently. Small things and some big things. Some relationships that didn't go right. Some bad financial decisions. Some I got angry and messed up that relationship. There are things in our life that are not scripted just perfect. But the God of the universe is faithful and bigger. And as Christians, we stand up and we say, I'm going to lead by example. I can't go into the promised land. I can't make those other three cities. But gosh darn it, I'm right here and I'm going to work until he comes or takes me. Amen? Lead by example. That's the only way to create a city of refuge. He didn't have to do all that work. He didn't have to get with those three tribes and say, listen, this is going to be it. This is the way it's going to work. You're going to set up three sea cities. It's a lot of work. But he's leading by example. There is no other way to make refuge in your life, in your home, and at your work, in your marriage, except right here. Come on. Let us lead by example. So how do we set an example? How do we lead by example? Not only does Moses show us, but then Moses is going to tell everyone else how to do it in the next verse. Verse 3. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide it into three parts, the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that the manslayer can flee there few little words. You shall provide roads. Well, this is not an uninhabited wilderness. There's already roads. Anyone can build a road. You're not building a road, Israel. You're building a road of refuge. It's altogether different. I'm going to read to you an extra biblical text. This is not in the Bible. This is in Jewish history. Now, I'm going to tell you, the Jews cook good records. 
They knew their stuff. There's a reason uh, Jewish people are so great at math and accounting. They keep good records. They own half the banks of America. Maybe more, I don't know. Don't quote me on that one, okay? I don't know. Listen to this Jewish text about the, ro- the, the roads of refuge. The officials and elders of Israel, upon one certain day a year, set out messengers to see that those roads were in good repair. They had to be 18 cubits. No, I'm sorry, 32 cubits, 42 feet wide. Why in the world, 42 feet? 42 feet? You would think you're thinking about a little trail. No, a 42-foot, I wish they would come and finish Verot. I'm sorry, I just got distracted. They could finish Verot. Oh, God. And 90. Oh, Lord. I'm sorry, I'm off my notes. They were to remove any rocks or stumbling blocks, mend bridges that were broken, and were, and where two roads met, they were to put signposts with a physical finger, like this, a picture of a hand pointing the right way, engraved in letters twice that read, if you speak better Hebrew than me, which you probably do, forgive me, miklak, miklak. Refuge, refuge, that way, twice. Oh, abundantly clear. You couldn't miss it if you tried. Now I want you to see this picture with me. Come on, we're all driving down the road. And we look over, and there's a person picking up rocks and throwing them off the road. There's a person with a big push broom making sure no one's going to trip. And we keep going, and we get to a sign, and there's a person painting a sign that had some paint chips on it to make sure it's very clear the words you can read, even if you forgot your glasses, or if you're running and exhausted and scared. And it says, refuge, refuge, and it's taken care of. Now, if we saw all these, now i got to repent. I've been mad at construction workers. Oh, God, help me. I just realized (laughs) If we saw all that, it would seem small potatoes, right? But in God's kingdom, he commanded that these jobs and these people do this to make sure they were pointing to refuge and everyone could get there that was trying to. Number two on your notes. There are no insignificant positions in the kingdom of God. That's a big word. I'm going to give you all a minute. Like five syllables. I promise you this week, moms, business owners, young, old, I don't care what stage you're in, you did some things that felt very insignificant. You may have pushed a broom. You may have changed a dirty diaper. You may have done whatever. There are no insignificant positions when in your life, You're creating refuge. Come on now. God has called you and ordained you to be refuge, to create refuge. And they're picking up rocks, and it's by the hand of the living God. 
There are no insignificant positions. You shall prepare roads. And if you've got to paint to make sure everyone knows refuge is here, you're doing it. You need to see this. You need to see yourself in this. You, it'll change the way you view life. You get up and you clean or you do what you got to do and you say, I'm making refuge. I'm proclaiming the goodness of God. I am a picture by his grace only of Jesus Christ. I am proclaiming refuge to everyone around me. Come on. Now, let me ask you a question. That'll put some pep in your step, won't it? Better than a cup of coffee or two. You need to see everything you do significant because it is significant to your king who saved you. If he saved you from eternal damnation, if he saved you for this life and eternity, he wants you to live in significance. No matter what you're doing for his kingdom and his glory, it will be. The Bible says, look, you can give a glass of water to someone in my name and there's a reward in heaven. That's what the Bible says. That's the way God views doing anything to build a refuge. Isaiah 35, speaking of this future great refuge we have in Jesus Christ. This is Isaiah 35, 7 and 8. The parched ground shall, the parched ground, excuse me, shall become a pool. And the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of jackals where each lay. There shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A what? A highway shall be there and a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Speaking of people outside of Israel like us, Gentiles or anyone who's not Israeli. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, although they don't, they have issues, they got things they're not good at, we've all done foolish things in our life, shall not go astray. Building roads of refuge is a big deal. If you build a 48-foot highway with no rocks, with clear signs that point twice, twice, don't ever doubt you see, I know you see people, you're like, oh, glory. I don't even know if you can save those people, Lord. Don't ever doubt, although a fool, they shall not go astray. They will not go astray. Let me illustrate the Bible with the Bible. Oh, help me, Lord. <laughs> there is a scriptural discrepancy in some uh, translations in this text. I am not a linguist. I spent an hour just to be able to speak of these four words in the Hebrew. I am not a linguist. Biblical languages is not my field of study. The NIV reads, wicked fools will not go about on it. But the King James, the New King James, the RSV, they say even if you're a fool, then you're going to be able to find salvation because the cross is going to be so clear. There's a scriptural discrepancy. I want to illustrate this like this. If I'll, I'll just have to use myself as a personal testimony. When I was young, and you're a hard line on everything, I wish I could say, but I told people, that's not a good translation. I don't like it. That's off. I'm going to tell you, I have never met one person anywhere on the planet that fell away from God because they read too much NIV. I don't prefer it. I'm not against it. 
I have never, I have never in my life met anyone who read too much NIV or even the message, and that's a paraphrase, or the New Living, and they fell away from God. This is why it matters. Listen to me. I love the Word of God. But if we paint ourselves in the corner and say, this is right and that's wrong, it is possible that the NIV, that the translators messed something up a little bit there. Did they change the person and the nature of Christ? No. Did they change the work of salvation? No. Is anything contrary to the overarching uh, scripture? No. Is God big enough to keep His eternal word perfect and pure and bring people to salvation? Yes. Now listen to me. I messed this up as a young person, especially when I started to get educated, because when you start to get educated, you think you're already at the end. You're actually at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And you say a lot of dumb things. And I hardlined it. Let me tell you what I did. The, the finger that said refuge, refuge, I took it away. And I said, this is right and all this is wrong. And if you're doing that, you're wrong. And what do you do when you're a spiritual leader, even if you're 21 or 2, and you tell someone they're wrong? They don't go, oh, thank you very much, I'll do this, and read in the King James from 1500. What do they do? They throw their hands up in the air and say, I can't do this. And they stop reading their Bible. I don't care what it is. Teach people that refuge, refuge is right here. Oh, I'm getting too excited. I hit my table. My illustration. See this little thing right here? It's refuge, isn't it? See this little thing right here? Oh, the Gideons. We love the Gideons. That's refuge too. What do we got here? I don't even know what this is. Homeland Christian Standard Bible. That's refuge. It's refuge. It's refuge. Tell people refuge, refuge. Refuge, refuge. My son is eight. We got him this for his birthday. This is the Action Bible. And it's good. But I'm going to tell you, it's a comic book. It's a good one, though. And they, they quote the Bible very well. It goes through all the things. Daniel in the lion's den. Now, I don't want him reading this in college if he's going to Bible school. Okay? I, I, I understand. He's not going to use this for his theological training. <laughs> If he is, he's going to work in children's ministry his whole life. <laughs> I don't want him to be in ministry unless God called him to do that. There's no grace. This is refuge, refuge. It's refuge. And we need to say refuge, refuge. If they're reading the New Living, fine. Just let them pour into it. And then God will move them to something else. Or they'll learn ten translations. Just tell them refuge, refuge. Amen? Amen. All right. Oh, goodness. These are heavy. All right. Let's keep going here. Oh, we love the Word of God. We love the Word of God. I really wanted to, to focus that there are no insignificant positions. That's my focus. That's just an illustration that I messed up on. I'm not saying you did. I messed up on it when I was young. I was over youth, and I hardlined them on, I mean, come on, a 16-year-old? Do you think a 16-year-old is thinking about what translation is what? They, they, no! They want to know what time the movie starts, and they can meet their friends there. But, you know, I'm 22. I know everything. I, but God loves me. He's gracious. I'm growing. It's okay. I'm just, in my life, I want to say twice, refuge, refuge. 
I'll talk about the judgment of God. I'll talk about that it is once appointed unto man to die and face the judgment. But I want to be someone who says refuge, refuge a few times. All right. Let's go back to our text. We're in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 19. So the parenthesis starts. 4, 5, and 6 is parenthetical. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there that he may... What's that little four-letter word there? Live. Live. Was the culture of Israel a life-giving culture? No. (laughs) Was the culture of the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Philistines, was that a life-giving culture? A a, a culture that, that held life as sacred? No. What is God big picture doing here? What is he cultivating in his people called by his name to do on this earth? It's the same mission we're doing right here. It's the same mission. He's cultivating them to produce a culture of life and a sanctity of human life. Let me give you the example the Bible gives. Hey, me and Josh are going to go chop some wood. Let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go out there with a loose axe head because I know, I may not even like Josh, but I know that if that axe handle flies off and Josh takes it in the head, guess who's coming after me? His crazy Cajun family. They're coming after me. Now, in my mind, it may only be self-preservation, but I don't want to die. I want to live. So I'm going to make sure that axe head's on hot tight. I got a bunch of young kids at home. I have bought in the value pack all those things that, uh, that are plug protectors. Yeah? And all those things that keeps the cabinets closed and all that. Why do we do that? Well, I don't want to clean up a mess, number one. Secondly, why? It's a culture I have to create of life with a bunch of little kids. God is doing that in his people. He wants them to value life. He wants them to have this culture of life. In fact, if you read, and I encourage you, when you read the law, read it in those aspects. They're saying, what do you mean? you got to make sure your, your pen is closed up so your donkey can't get out. You know who killed more people on this planet than just about any other animal? Besides like mosquitoes and for uh, diseases, donkeys. You know why? They're mean, and they kick a lot, and they kick people in the head. There was a reason God wanted to everyone to understand life is sacred. It's holy. It's given by me. I give it. I take it away. I don't care if it's young or old. It didn't matter if it was Israeli, a, a journeyer, someone passing through, or a non-Israeli. doesn't matter if they're born or unborn. doesn't matter if they're young or old, black or white. If they're physically handicapped or physically healthy. If they're mentally handicapped or mentally healthy. Life is from God and it's sacred and precious. Amen. See that culture God's doing in that refuge? Number three on your notes. Only life-giving cultures can be refuges. There is no refuge without a care for an individual. Right? Y'all know this. No matter what station they are. No matter we love them or not. 
or like him that much or not. He wanted a life-giving culture to be there. Let me show you a few pictures I found this week. There's some, some, some fails here in the culture. <laughs> this little bit, this uh, joke here. See that guy drowning out there? The lifeguard with his magazine. Those people are staring at the lifeguard. There's two lifeguards. Let me see the other one over there. We're encouraging people to become involved in their own rescue. <laughs> Is that life-giving? No, it's not life-giving. Okay, this next one. This was just because it was a Louisiana picture. That's, that's all. One in three people in Louisiana die from heart disease. Okay? What's the sign next to it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't pray enough. When, when I was doing this, I should have prayed more. <laughs> Two out of three. <laughs> that's not life-giving. Shame on you, Burger King, for making those. <laughs> And the Whopper, that's so good. <laughs> well, we got one more, I think. All right. That lady's playing solitaire. I'm sorry, it's pixelated. Just one moment, please. I'm looking up your account. That is not life-giving. You have been on the other side of that line. When you want to pull your hair out. The culture you create, culture trumps everything. That we are here as a church and as individuals, we want to be life-giving. Now, I'm going to tell you, we are. And you are. The reason you're here, even sitting here this morning, is because you believe, although we're not a perfect church, this is a life-giving church. I'll give you a great example. My wife has a good friend named Michelle who was in town last weekend. She's from Houston. She goes to First Baptist in Houston. It's a church of about 10,000 people. It, it's a city block. Okay? It's, it's huge. It's a 50-year-old church. You know? Houston's got huge churches. So they came in just to have a little getaway because she's been working hard, taking care of a, a father, kids, my wife too. They, we manned it up. Um, one of my best friends is her husband. And we watched the kids, him with his kids in Houston, me, mine here. And they had a little a, 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 a getaway. Well, what happened was she's a singer. And just in the last minute, we're like, hey, you know, we may not have a background singer, only one. Do you want to sing with us? Because she was talking about how she's been so busy She's been in worship for years and has gotten out of it and hadn't hardly been able to do it. So, of course, my wife's real shy and quiet. Y'all know that. I get a text, hey, can Michelle lead worship? I say, well, that's up to Chris. You know, I'll talk to him. He's leading worship next week. So they text. He's like, yeah, yeah, come on, bring him more than merrier. No practice at all. They came in. They put together a great set of presence of the Lord. She's a good singer, all this stuff. After service, she's been, now listen. She's a highly educated, uh, master's in, in major world religions. Uh, none of that matters. She loves God. Okay, she's humble. She loves God, right? That's what matters. Didn't worship for years and years, plays the piano. She said, Stephen, this is after church in the parking lot. You, these people are great. This worship was, they were so loving, and everyone's helped on the worship team, and everyone was so, she stood in awe. At this, our little young church saying, wow, that is a life-giving culture. The size of an organization doesn't matter. It's the culture we're producing, and you are producing it. There was a third party last week, Michelle, who said, wow, this is a life-giving culture. All right? So you need to thank God and praise God that you're running right in the vein. Sometimes you just need to look at me. Is I going the right direction? Absolutely. You are. Praise God. I'm proud of you guys. All right. John 10.10 says it so clearly. A great scripture. Jesus' proclamation. Starting talking about the door and the entrance. 
It says, John 10, 10, you know this one. The thief does not, ki- does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have what? Life and that they may have it more abundantly. Come on, he's life. He's our life giver. And so we want to be like him. Just want to thank you guys for representing Christ so well, us so well, even last week and someone who had only been here a couple times and was able to observe and, and view that. We're going to get to our last point, but I just want to also tell you, we're a church family. I just tell y'all everything the way it is. Good things are happening here at the church, and we have a healthy church going in the right direction. As many of you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, and I take no pleasure in this at all, uh, all cities church down the road closed down. That's some of you were members there before. Uh, I've had a great conversation with Marshall. He's doing well. The grace of God is there. But I want to—I just tell you all the way it is. This building is up for sale, and we're pursuing to try to get that building. Now, let me be clear. There are multiple people pursuing trying to get that building, and, we, and I have to secure a loan. They have to accept. That's not done yet. This is kind of a fast track where normally when you do things like that, you don't, but this is the situation. I am asking you, because we're life-giving, because we're going in the right way, because God has been good to us, to please pray for me. I need wisdom. Now, let me stop right there and say, I, first thing I did was call all three of my overseers. They have all three given me a red light, a green light. I'm sorry. <laughs> Striking that from the green light. You can call them and ask them. Look, I don't do things. But <laughs> Wait a minute, Steve. I'm pretty sure red's bad. <laughs> Help me, Lord. <laughs> they have all three. We've looked at the numbers. We, do. we can be in that building with not much more operating cost of this one. I'm not going to move somewhere and be church poor. We are financially healthy. We don't have debt. We have a, a lump savings. I'm not going to make bad financial decisions. But at the same time, Lord, is this you? Lord, our lease just ended here. Lord, is, is this you? Is this like you getting ready to increase us and do something? We're life-giving. Do you want us to be another city of refuge? Do you want us to be something more? So I need you to pray for me, please. Um, I thank God we have people in our church who understand uh, Real estate and stuff, they're helping us and our overseers. I need to make you aware that we're going forward in this, and nothing is guaranteed. You do understand. I've been clear on that, all right? I don't even have a loan secure. I'm working with that. I'm working with banks on that. But that's where I just want you all to be aware. Because we're life-giving, I can talk about that. All right. All of this builds. Oh, I want to be life-giving. Oh, yes, nothing I do is insignificant. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. All of this text and all of your life as a Christian is dependent. And I'm not trying to overplay this. This is what the Word of God says on verse 9. We need to get to verse 9 because it's the most important thing in your life. We're back here in Deuteronomy 19. And if you keep all these commandments, Deuteronomy 19.9, and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, and to walk always in His ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself beside these three. Boy, I'm talking about everything I'm not. I'm not a biblical linguist. 
and I am not, um, have spent huge amounts of time in the end times and where we are in world history. But I can say with confidence that we're closer to the end times than we were yesterday, right? I'm going somewhere with this, but let's read Matthew 24 so, to make this clear. God looks at Israel and he said, I'm going to reiterate the most important thing. And Jesus is going to reiterate it in Matthew 24, 10. Stay with me. I'm going to bring this all together. Matthew 24, 10. This is the signs of the times, the end times. Okay. To have refuge, he says, love the Lord your God and walk in his ways. You cannot have any refuge without that component, the most important thing, period. Now listen to the way Jesus said it in Matthew 24, verse 10. And then many will be offended. What is a city of refuge about? Offense. It's about offense. You hurt someone, I'm coming after you. Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will, what? Hate one another. This is the, the culture of the end times, whether it's now or in 100 years or 1,000 years. I don't know. If you do good, study it, love it, grow in it. Read it in the NIV. <laughs> Verse 11. Then many false prophets will arise and uh, rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the what? The love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. Moses said, the way you're going to be successful, the way you're going to do this is loving God. Now look at the next verse. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel has to be preached throughout the world. How do you endure to the end? Moses said it was by loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Jesus said, love him, love him. All your Christian life, all the refuge you have, everything in your life is contingent on one thing. Don't worry about the Antichrist so much. Don't worry about the end time. Don't worry about the economy as much. Don't worry about those things. God will take care of those things. Love him. Spend time with him. Be enamored with him. Don't look to the right or to the left. Keep your eyes focused on the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen? Number four. Loving God is the only way to create refuge for yourself and others. I easily get caught up in stuff. I was raised in a political family. I get caught up in politics. I was raised... Uh, my education historical and things and the, the accuracy of the word of God. And if someone's off theologically, I get caught up in it, right? You know, that's just me. It may be other things for you. I can hear the clear whispers of the Holy Spirit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. In the end times, the love of many will grow cold. You want to make it through the end times, whether it's today or next week. You want to live a life of refuge. Love God. Love God. How do you love him? Spend time with him and you will fall in love with the king of glory. Spend time with him. I don't care if you're reading the NIV. Spend time with him and you will fall in love with Jesus the Savior. Amen? Come on, let's stand up.
We're doing it. You're creating refuge in your life. You're learning how to do it. You're walking out there in this lost world with no refuge, and you're saying, I'm going to be a refuge. That's who you are. It's who God has made you. He saved you to be that refuge, to proclaim his goodness until he comes. One last scripture up on the screens, Hebrews. This is talking about Moses, of course. Hebrews 9, 11, 9, and 10. Let's read it. By faith he dwelt in a land of promise as a foreign, as a foreign, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents. I'm sorry, this is specifically about Abraham. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for what? A city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. God is the builder of refuge, the maker of refuge. Moses, excuse me, Abraham, Father Abraham said, I am looking and waiting for God to build the refuge. That's what I want in my life. I know he's doing it. The builder and the maker is none other than God himself. Come on, let's spend some time with Jesus. Just, oh, come to him. If you need refuge, the, the road is 48 feet wide. He's cleared it by his blood. And the sign is clear. Go to the cross. Oh, there is nothing you are doing for him that's insignificant. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, nothing. Come on, worship him. You can keep singing, worship him. We can do both. 
Lord, we come to you and we're asking that you would make us a city of refuge. A city of refuge so clear that when people would hear, they would hear refuge, refuge. Oh, God of heaven, would you do a mighty work? Lord, would you increase our footprint? Lord, would you increase our voice that cries refuge, refuge here? Refuge, refuge in our homes. Refuge, refuge in our communication with young and old. Refuge, refuge, God. It's what we want. It's what we desire. You came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Oh, how we want to be a refuge for you. Lord, we commit our way to you, our future to you. Lord, our future of this building, our future life, our future relationships, God. We commit them to you. Build a great refuge for your name and your glory. In the name above all names, we pray. And we say it one more time. Sing it. Come on. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your praise. Lord, we won't trickle praise. We'll pour it. We'll pour it, Lord. So we pour out our praise voices it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only thank you lord now let's pray thank him. you jesus. come on jesus Hallelujah. thank you for who you've made us but what you're doing. Oh, God, you're the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh, God, you've just started. Oh, Lord, you've just begun a good work. And you're the one who's faithful to complete it. Oh, you will surely perfect those things that concern us. Oh, thank you, God, for making us a person and a place of refuge. And we thank you and praise you in the name above all names. In the name above all names. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, come on, amen and amen. You guys have a great day. God bless you.